Hello, and welcome to Flashes of DEI, a podcast where we explore topics and ideas related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. My name is Katie Matthias. I use they, them, their pronouns, and I serve as a director in our newly renamed and reshaped Division of People, Culture, and Belonging. And stay tuned for a later episode about that. Hi, everyone. I'm Gianna Jessup. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a grad student in the higher ed program here at Kent State, and I'm currently interning in the new Division of People, Culture, and Belonging. Yeah. And today, instead of our new division name and makeup, we're going to be talking about something else. Uh, We're talking about our international community here at Kent State, where we have people who come to us from over 100 different countries. Uh, To help us explore how to find resources or best support this community, we have two fellow flashes. So would you all mind introducing yourselves for our listeners? Yeah, so my name is Jaita Data. I'm a psychologist, international students focus at counseling and psychological services in the division of student life. I've been working here for almost 13 years. Oh, wow. I'm glad to be here to answer some of your questions, Katie. G. Glad to have you here. Hey everyone, my name is Kandra and I am an international student from Ghana, West Africa. I am currently a third year in the doctoral program here in the higher education administration program. And I also work in the Office of Global Education as a graduate assistant. Third year into the PhD, hey, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, thank you all so much for being here with us. Our pleasure. All right, so to get into these questions, um, would you be able to define or give an overview of what it means to be an international student? Whoever wants to start, can go. I guess for me, uh, the term international means that someone who has spent most of their time outside of the United States of America, if the reference point is U.S., Mm-hmm. For being an, an international student, if the student is coming to U.S., then they, the country that they are coming from becomes international. Uh, for domestic students from U.S. coming to any of the other countries, they will be considered as international. So any any student, any staff, any faculty who is traveling from their home country to another country will be considered international. So they don't have to be necessarily be born, but they have spent most of their time in their home countries in order to be considered international. One thing I wanted to add is that sometimes we might confuse an international student for a foreign student. So when you have people here who are like refugees or um, who are seeking asylum here in the U.S., they would be considered foreign students. But then um, what would set an international student apart is their visa status. So usually international students will come to the U.S. on an F1 or J1 visa. And that is something that sometimes a lot of people get confused. So mm-hmm. that's one thing I just wanted to add. Yeah, a distinction. Cool. To kind of build uh, on our kind of understanding. So we know the the population is large and varied, but there might be some myths or misconceptions around the international community. And Kondra, you already kind of addressed one, right? Um, some of the differences between an international student, faculty and staff, refugee or asylum seeking, right? Are there other ones that come up that you'd like to address or uh, push back against? Oh, I love that question. Um, especially because I am an international student. One of, one of the most popular misconceptions is that international students are wealthy and that mm. they can afford to come study in the U.S. And when you take 
the international student population here at Kent State, there are over 2,000 international students here. Wow. And a lot of them tend to be graduate students. And most of them are here because of the assistantships. Most of them can afford to study here because of the assistantships. And then we have undergrads who are also like on scholarships from mm-hmm. either their, their government or they come here on external um, scholarship because they do not qualify for FAFSA. They do not qualify for financial aid. So I think that it's very important to understand that a lot of international students are actually sacrificing a lot to be here. They have to like figure out a lot of their finances and seek out help and try to stand out in order to like get opportunities to come study here. So I think that um, we need to start shifting our um, minds towards how we can best support them, find financial assistance and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. I think another uh, misconception is the fact that international international students just want to interact with international students. Mm. And again, drawing from my own experience, we tend to do that because in our classrooms, a lot of people um, are struggling with, you know, cultural differences and just creating friendships with domestic students. So I know Kent State is very big on diversity and inclusion, and there are lots of programs and initiatives to help bridge that gap. But then, again, domestic students haven't been cultured in in a way that they can fully understand where international students come from and and then also try and create friendships in a way that would um, build confidence in in them. So those Mm -hmm. are some of the um, misconceptions that I just wanted to address. Yeah. Yeah, I want to dive in a little bit um, deeper. Um, in one of the research articles I read from Higher Education, they actually said four global myths or misconceptions for international students. And the number one is that international students' economic contribution to the U.S. is small. Mm. You know, again, that kind of talks to what Kandra is saying that, you know, maybe international students are wealthy or they have resources from the government or they get grants but their contribution to the United States uh, in a in a research, they said that they have created hundreds of thousands of jobs for the U.S. economy. So I think that that has been a myth, especially um, since the last, um, last government. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was a myth put out. Right. Uh, the take, 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 but it's actually giving, right? Yeah. It's giving. Yeah. I think, I think it is more exchange, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, second myth or misconception is that most international students stay in the U.S. after graduation. That's not true because I'm sure Kandra knows that uh, we have the optional practicum training, uh, which is a training that graduate stu- that international students get a time period in U.S. that they can advance their, I would say, training opportunities. They work in that assigned field. But then most of the time, OPT is very restrictive. Is for a year, up to three years, if you are from STEM, science, technology, engineering, management mm. field. Uh, if you don't get the job, if the company does not allow sponsorship for those international candidates, then those international candidates have to leave for their domestic country. So not many organizations, many, many companies have the financial resources to 
get a job or and process their work visa for international students. Mm-hmm. So the myth that international students will stay here, maybe illegally, you know, I have read it somewhere. That is not true because, you know, if you are coming here for a visa, all your documentation, all your personal information is registered through the U.S. Embassy. The third myth is that international students who remain will take away jobs from U.S. citizens. And that is not true, as we have seen. International candidates do create multiple jobs, but they will not never take away the jobs created for U.S. citizens. Mm -hmm. I would say the work visa can be catered for international candidates with specialized degree and qualification that may not meet the the requirement for the U.S. citizen, but that is not true. And lastly is that historically we have heard that U.S. remains number one for study abroad destination, but that is not true. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you look at the research, there are more countries like Europe, uh, Australia, and other countries have becoming the number one study abroad des- destination. So again, just this is from a, just a more of a global perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that, both of you. I think it's really important that people know these things and are aware that they are missed because they are really harmful. Um, so let's go ahead and build. So we know that the international community here at Kent State is broad and diverse. There are a lot of challenges that they face. Um, what are some of those challenges and barriers, especially when thinking about universities? Like I mentioned in the previous question, um, again, the financial barrier is very, very, very huge. And when you think about the journey of an international student, right, um, they first have to apply in order to gain admission. And then they need to apply to get their visa. And that whole process can cost a couple of hundred bucks, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, versus a domestic student who just needs to like maybe travel from one state to another. A lot of international students are coming from, you know, countries that are like very far mm-hmm. <laughs> and places where you've never heard of. And then the, the visa process takes a very long time and that can be very, very financially draining. And then you have to purchase a pink ticket which cost over $1,000. Um, so, for instance, I, I visited Ghana this past um, summer and I had to pay um, $1,500 to get a ticket oh my gosh. to come to, to travel back home. And that is something that a lot of international students cannot afford to do. Right. So I was in the U.S. for about five years before being able to actually visit home. So I am just one case. There are a lot of international students who cannot even afford to do that. And then you have to pay for health insurance and then you have to pay for your books and then you have to pay for room and board. And Mm -hmm. luckily in the U.S., you have things like, you know, financial aid. You have a lot of scholarships that um, a lot of domestic students qualify for and loans. We do not. So that is a really, really huge obstacle in the way of a lot of international students. And unfortunately, most higher education institutions cannot do anything in that in terms of the finances because those are regulations set by by the federal government. So I think that um it will very, very it will be very difficult to remove that barrier. But it will be easy for institutions to 
create scholarships and, you know, internal scholarships and grants that will help lessen the burden on international students. I know that there's the CARES office that handles a lot of, you know, um, issues related to food insecurity and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's just what I wanted to add. <laughs> yeah. I would also add to Kandra's point is that when an international student thinks about uh, coming and studying in any country, they will have to think about maybe two years in advance because they have to start exploring the school, start exploring the requirements, maybe study for those exams like IELTS or TOEFL or GRE or GRE specific subject. So that takes about a year and then you apply based on your scores and your current financial status. And I would say that not every international student has the means to even apply and take those exams. So it's very handful of those international students who dream big or who have great family support. I've heard people who have sold their existing house and put their house on mortgage on loan to get the, you know, the actual money up at front so that they could send their son uh, for this higher education. And and now the son, after graduating, got a job and has paid back and got the house back. So I think financial burden is one of the barriers. We know that language and cultural barriers will remain commonly problems for uh, international students is I think it's a common problem for domestic students to how to interact, how to make sense of the cultural nuances. I think those cultural nuances are a big thing that to be overcome. I think language still, you know, the more the international students, the longer they stay in this country, they can get the language, they can understand what those American slang language mm-hmm. or lingos mean, but the cultural nuances are becoming very challenging. One thing um, in our field, we have seen that if we compare international students and domestic students, uh, since COVID, international students have experienced higher rates of isolation mm-hmm. as compared to domestic students. And you would say that International students have already felt isolated, even pre-pandemic. But since the pandemic, the rate has doubled more than the domestic students. And there could be multiple reasons for that, you know, like social isolation. You know, they they have been restricted not to come to their country of choice for education. They had to take classes back home. And then with that gap coming back and then starting off the social process becomes a very challenging piece. And I think when they, when these international students are thinking about universities, I think they should also start thinking about a couple of factors, like, okay, which department they are trying to apply, whether the department has some international student enrollment. If the department does not have any international student enrollment and they are the first ones to apply, so you have to take it with a grain of salt that the, de- the department may not know the needs of international mm-hmm. students or uh, talk to the professors, talk to the advisors, you know, what services have they provided to the international students? So if the department is open, they will have that conversation. Even if they have not taken an international student before, they can welcome the student and talk about those resources. 
like financial resources to care center or the writing uh, assistance from the library. A lot of international students struggle with writing because the writing style in their countries are different from APA style, MLA style in America. A mm-hmm. uh, lot of graduate students I know have to take in a writing 101 because the writing content is different. The style is different, even if they are A students in their country, but the, due to their writing ability of difference in system, mm-hmm. they are getting poor grades. So those are some of the challenges and barriers, especially when they are considering universities. Yeah. I wanted to add um, one more thing. And I think within the international student community, one of the biggest challenges I have seen is that we are not very great at self-seeking behaviors. Mm. We do not know how to ask for help. Um, maybe Dr. Dara can talk more about that because mm. she a trained psychologist. And when it comes to like the isolation and the adjustments issues, it usually stems from the fact that we do not know how to ask for help. Mm-hmm. We usually come from cultures where everything is given to us. Our education system is designed in a way that help is already provided. You do not need to ask. And then the American culture is highly individualistic and you have to learn to like seek out help, Mm -hmm. you know, and that is something that we tend to struggle with. So just taking an international student who is maybe struggling in a class, they may find it very difficult to approach a professor and be like, hey, I'm really struggling. Can you help me? Yeah. That's a lot of effort. So again, like um, the culture is different. The settings are very different. But when um, faculty and um, staff have the, comp- the intercultural competence to actually navigate these barriers, it helps um international students break out of their shelves. Mm-hmm. And I think to Kandra's point, I think that can be eliminated if the individual department uh, kind of creates that peer mentoring program with one existing, maybe international student who came a year ago and paired that student with a new international student just to talk about how to seek help, how to seek assistance. There's no fear in if you ask your professor to repeat what they heard yesterday in the class, because a lot of international students will be fearful. Um, and, and I think that peer mentoring slash buddy system really helps because then they, because I know in my uh, graduate program, I had a big sister who really navigated my I think my first semester, in fact, my entire year, first year into the program. And we would meet once a month just to talk about how things are going, what else I need, if I'm having difficulties asking for help. Yeah. When talking about barriers, you've already started offering up some potential solutions to things, which is going to be our next question. Thinking about some of the other barriers and challenges you mentioned or ones not mentioned, What are things that we at Kent State University can do to help get rid of those barriers, minimize our barriers, and make our communities more inclusive for international students? I think having having departments accept more international students, having the domestic students go for study abroad programs, and in fact, international students too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the international students don't think that international students know everything about the world. Mm-hmm. They are they were probably stuck in their own country and they have no knowledge 
of mixing with diverse group of people. So even they should be encouraged for study abroad experiences. And I have seen that including having more group projects in their academic curriculum and making the intention of having a mix of international and domestic students in the group rather than all domestic students in one group or all international students in one group really helps mixing the cultures and also will improve the barriers of language, culture, time management. You know, a lot of the times international students have a different sense of time management or, oh, we can work on the project at 12 a.m., which may not sound that cool for domestic students who probably have other, uh, you know, time commitment. So those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Kandri, if you have anything else, because I have one more thing, which is a side note for this topic. (laughs) Okay. um, I think in order to eliminate some of the barriers, I think Kent State has to do a better job at redefining what sense of belonging means for international students. Mm. You would find that most higher education institutions tend to focus on creating sense of belonging for freshmen and a lot of domestic students, forgetting that we also have different types of students and and one of them are international students. We have minorities and I know that you know we have the um, diversity inclusion and equity department that focuses heavily on you know increasing these diversity initiatives. But then when we talk about sense of belongingness for international students, that means something entirely different. So how do we translate that into actions? I think mm-hmm. that that's um, that's the first step for removing those barriers. And when you look in the international student community, we come with different forms of identities. You have international students who come here with their families. We have international students here who come from um, places where they do not have access to certain things, right? We have international students who are heavily religious, who are... um, who haven't even fully understood what their own identity means, like mm-hmm. nationally or culturally. So I think that incorporating those things into the overall mission of the university is, is going to be the first point. And then I think another thing we could do to remove the barriers for international students is inviting the Kent State community, not just the university, but the Hmm. overall community, the, the town of Kent, mm-hmm. to interact with international students. I, 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 there are so many businesses here. There are so many people in, in the Kent State community who do not know what an international student might look like. So maybe they might not respond to them in ways that might favor international students. It might isolate them. I remember an international student in one of my classes shared that she went to a Walmart and she was treated unkindly. So mm. those are some of the things that we need to do in order to remove some of those cultural barriers that international students might face. And then also we should make it a conscious effort to have staff and faculty within different departments to interact with international students. So how would what would that even look like? I think that that might come in the form of training, right? Intercultural mm-hmm. competence trainings. And a lot of offices do workshops on that. So um, 
I think that that's a way we can actively remove those barriers and um, also making sure that like your newly set up office, right? They can interact or collaborate with the Office of Global Education, partner with the um, Office of International Student Affairs, and then create programming that would force domestic and international students to interact. Mm-hmm. And also just making sure that there's access, just making sure that the information is put right in front of international students, right? Mm-hmm. So if we have accommodation, if we have um scholarships, right? Really create scholarships, or if we have DEI initiatives, let's try and push those information closer to the international student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. I think with the intentional outreach, I think that, you know, have a class which all international students, all domestic students have to take, mm-hmm. which is more of intercultural bonding or, you know, things to consider if you are taking a class with someone who looks different than you. You know, mm-hmm. it does not have to be international, but it could be more of diversity uh, initiative. Um, one of the barriers for this question is the concept of ethnocentric bias that a lot of times we have seen, even domestic students tend to hang out with people they look like, look alike. Mm-hmm. Same thing with international students, right? International students are so diverse and they will know based on your features, based on the way you're talking, based on your language, that you are from a certain part of the world and they tend to hang out together. So when I was talking about doing group projects, intentional group projects, I have seen professors calling our office saying that we are having difficulties engaging the domestic students interacting with international students because they want to do the group project with their their kind of people. So the ethnocentric bias of tendency to hang out with similar looking similar kind of people can come as a barrier for more of these cultural, you know, dialogues or exercises. Yeah. So something to consider. Yeah. And know that there's sometimes reason, right? Because we can find safety and we know we're maybe Mm -hmm. not going to face unkindness uh, as much when we're with the people who look like us or identify like us. Uh, So recognizing that and but also making some exceptions and the efforts to push through yes. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. Um, I, you already kind of touched on one of our other questions. So I'm just going to go with the last one since we're about out of time. Um, what are some resources or advice that you would share with any international students listening to this that are here at Kent State? Well, I think the first to go place is Office of Global Ed. You know, they have resources, they have educational resources, they have fund resources for international students. Mm-hmm. Now we have the care center who are meeting the needs of international students in variety of you know places like financial, or maybe they need other resources uh, like finding a place to live, et cetera, like emergency housing. Um, uh, the Office of the International Student Affairs has a great program, which is the Global Conversation Hours, which mm-hmm. actually allows domestic and international students to come. And then they have a program where they can talk and interact and it's more of a fun setting. Uh, I would say in terms of the jobs, uh, there is career exploration and development, which caters to international students and maybe more of those career days can be organized maybe multiple times during the fall and the spring semester where companies are invited to talk to the international students and companies who are willing to have a sponsorship 
to hire mm-hmm. international students. And I, I think different departments will have a lot of programs for international students because I know our office and OGE is uh, organizing this monthly international student lunch conversations open to any international student. And we have also opened to domestic students. If they are friends with domestic students, that's a, that creates a great opportunity for both of the students to interact and learn about each other. All I would want to say is that... Um we would like to encourage international students to attend events. Mm-hmm. Staying, in your, staying in your rooms, it's, it's just not enough to experience Kent State. There are so many things you can do to stay engaged on campus. So try as much as possible to attend an event. If you don't have the confidence to like ask someone to join you, just try and come out on your own and then you can meet a lot of people who are also excited to to engage on campus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And we'll add all of the resources that were mentioned in today's episode into the show notes. I uh, want to thank you all for joining us here today. Uh, it was really great to get to hear from you. Thank you. Thank for you for this, yeah, for this great opportunity, Katie and G. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. If you're interested in learning more about us here in people, culture, and belonging, feel free to check out our current website, kent.edu slash diversity. And if you've got a topic you'd like us to discuss, feel free to email us at diversity at kent.edu or connect with us on social media, currently at DEI Kent State across platforms. And we'll see you next month with a new episode. Bye. 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 Bye.